0: Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. Such a meaningful time. Thank you. Excuse me. I've been reading Jordan Peterson's book, uh, 12 Rules for Life. Excellent book. Uh, Amazing insights. He's really thoughtful and smart. And he, he talks about this uh, tension that we all live with between order and chaos, that throughout our lives, we're trying to bring order and chaos is always seeking to undermine whatever we do. And so no matter how hard we work at it, it seems like chaos always has a, a way of infiltrating and Undermining the order that we're trying to create. I was thinking about that this morning. I was sitting eating breakfast at the table, and the sun so far in the south that it was uh, throwing a glare on top of the table. And as I looked on the table, I could see kind of a fine layer of dust that was just beginning to form. And I thought, you know, Amy wiped that table yesterday, and yet here comes the dust every day. Yesterday morning, I. I got the blower and uh, we've got a maple tree right behind, right beside our back porch and uh, it's dropping maple leaves all over the porch. So I blew all the leaves off the porch. By the evening, it looked like I hadn't even blown it. And in a way, that's how chaos and order seems to work in our lives. It's, it's, it's like that dust on the table or those leaves on the porch. No matter how much we push it away and we try to get rid of it and we try to stabilize and establish our life and create this world that is safe and secure and orderly, chaos always seems to find a way back in. And there seems to be nothing. When, you know, Allstate calls it mayhem. And I love their commercials, don't you? One of my favorites, the guy's riding down the highway in a truck and uh, in the back of the truck, you know, it's the guy with the Band-Aids on his head. He's mayhem. And in the back of the truck, there's all this gear from tailgating. And he, he says this, I'm a cheap bungee cord. The guy bought me at a gas station. I'm perfect for holding down a lid on a box of sweaters, but 800 pounds of tailgating gear, nah. And the next thing you know, the bungee cord breaks the, the cooker goes out the back of the truck, it's hitting cars, other things. And he, you know, if you've got cut rate insurance, uh, you need to know are they gonna be able to handle something like this? But then here's that tagline at the end. Get all state and protect yourself from mayhem like me. But you know, you can't protect yourself from mayhem or chaos. No matter how hard you try, it's always gonna find its way back into your life. You can make a fortune. You can be financially secure and stable for your whole life. And then your kid goes through something. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a heartbreak. Maybe it's depression or anxiety. Or maybe it's an illness. And the next thing you know, your world is marked not by order and stability, but by chaos and fear. And there's nothing in the world that you can do about that. You know, somebody said one time that we're only as happy as our least happy child and I don't know if that's true or not, but it sure does, it sure does feel that way at times. And it doesn't even have to be your kids. I mean, you can be cruising along and then here comes a sickness or you experience a loss or people disappoint us or chaos just happens. You know, as parents, we try to protect our kids from chaos, but we can't do it. You know, the older generation seemed to understand that because their world was so chaotic that they just came to embrace and realize I'm going to live in chaos and I can't protect my children from the chaos that's going to be around me. So I need to prepare them for it. But our modern generation has lived maybe an easier life, certainly a more stable existence than my parents did or or my parents' parents. And we have bought into this idea that we can somehow, if we work hard enough, try hard enough, spend enough money, we can somehow bubble wrap our kids and we can keep them from all the hurts and heartaches that everybody else has to experience. But what happens when you start to pop the bubble wrap and they're totally unprepared for the chaos that's coming their way? Listen to Jordan Peterson's insight. He said, even if it were possible to permanently banish everything threatening, everything dangerous, and therefore everything challenging and interesting, that would mean only that another danger would emerge that of permanent human infantilism and absolute uselessness. How could the nature of man ever reach its full potential without challenge and danger? And he said, so I have a question for parents. Do you want to make your children safe or strong? Maybe this is why God allows chaos in our lives. He'd rather we be strong than safe. You see, here's here's an insight. God doesn't seem nearly as concerned with keeping us safe as He does in making us strong. And I read the Scripture, and I think it's borne out in a variety of places, not the least of which is James chapter 1, where it says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Consider it joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you might be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God would rather you be strong than safe. And so as a consequence of that, we often walk in chaos. And my life will always live with some degree of chaos. And that's true even when I'm following God. And listen to me on this. It's true even when I'm led by the Spirit. I think the wise men are a, are a great example of that. Let's take our Bibles. Let's go to Matthew chapter two and look at the wise men this morning because they're a case in point. They were led by the Spirit. You're like, no, no, no. They were led by a star. Well, make no mistake. They were led by the star because they were led by the Spirit. It was God's purpose and plan for these men. We always say three, we don't know how many there were. You know, it could have been 20. They had three gifts uh, that these men would show up and and somehow participate in the birth of Jesus. And so it says this, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. That word magi is of course a form of the word magician. And so when you think about it, you think, man, this is really nuts. Why why would God allow a band of magicians to show up at the birth of Jesus? I mean, why did he do this? Now, look, don't let the magi thing throw you off track, okay? These were Eastern scientists whose knowledge seemed so amazing that people would later call them magicians. By the way, contrary to popular opinion, science... Didn't originate in the Western culture. We like to think that because we want everything good to come from Western culture. The truth is, science originated in the Greek culture. And through the Greeks and the learning of the Greeks, we had these massive advances in science that was ultimately lost to the West. It's why we call it the Dark Ages. And it wasn't rediscovered until the Crusades went in and started doing battle against the Persians that they discovered these lost mathematical uh, ideas and these formulas and this scientific discovery. And they brought them back to the West. And in bringing them back to the West, it fomented what we call the Renaissance. And after that, the Age of Enlightenment. But, but the scientific breakthroughs were in the East, not the West. Uh, here's a good example uh, Who discovered that the Earth was round? Now, if you were to ask me that years ago, I would have said Christopher Columbus. You know, in 1492, Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue, right? And he's the one that proved the Earth was round. Maybe it'll surprise you to know that Pythagoras proposed that the earth was round 500 years B.C. That's 1,900, 2,000 years before Columbus. In the 350s, Aristotle came up with a series of propositions and observations to demonstrate that the earth was round. But then in 240 B.C., a guy named Eratosthenes calculated that the circumference of the earth was 24,000 miles around. The actual circumference of the earth is 24,900 miles around. He was within 900 miles, 240 years before Christ. Now these wise men, living 240 years after that, they had Eratosthenes equations, they had Aristotle, they had Pythagoras, they had all of that stuff. And, And through their vast learning, They were able to contemplate uh, not only the movements of the stars, but the movements of the planets, and by virtue of that, these astronomers saw this significant astrological event, and then they moved from science into their own religion, and they moved from astronomy a bit into astrology, and they determined from that that there must be a significant birth of a significant king. And, and and when I read that, I think, this is nuts. Why would God, who has been so meticulous to create this unique people called the Jews, invite these Eastern scientists, astronomer, astrologists, you know, they're not reading the horoscope in the newspaper, but they're not far from it, invite them to come and be a part of the nativity scene, you know? And I think God used them to show that the king would be a king without borders and that his kingdom would be global and that it would include everyone. And I'm like, yeah, but God, couldn't you have done that with maybe, I don't know, maybe some Jews from the East? I mean... 500 years before Jesus, the Jews were carried away in the Babylonian captivity, and then they were moved over to Persia. So there were pockets of Judaism that were still uh, resident in the region of Persia. They certainly could have come. Maybe these guys were Jewish. And then I'm I, I thinking about that again. I'm like, no, if they were Jewish, what are they doing messing with astrology? The fact of the matter is, he invited these non-Jews who were doing things that otherwise would have been forbidden in the scripture to come and participate in the nativity story. And I scratched my head at that until I realized this. And this is an insight that will not only help you with chaos, but it'll help you with God. God is sovereign, which means he can do whatever he wants with whomever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. So put it to bed, go to rest. You don't have to decide who's going to be in charge anymore. And God said, Di, why don't you just let me handle this? I'm like, I'm good with that. But the Magi were led by the Spirit. Even though they were following a star, they were led by the Spirit. And even though they were led by the Spirit, they encountered trouble. Well, first of all, they got lost, right? They came and said, the first recorded words of the wise men, Where is he? Where is he? Because they're lost. Where are they when they ask that question? Well, they're in Jerusalem. Where was Jesus? He was in Bethlehem. They're close, but they're not there. And so here's the insight that I want you to hear today, because this this is a point of struggle for many of us. Even when I'm led by the Spirit, I can still lose my way. I mean, sometimes the Spirit leads us to places that where it's difficult to see. We go through valleys of shadows, Isn't that what David said? The valley of the shadow of death. And sometimes in those valleys and shadows, it's hard to discern the leadership of God. You may be in one right now, but sometimes it's our fault. I get distracted and I look ahead when I should be looking up. You know, I think that's maybe what the Magi did when they started getting close. I think they probably took their eyes off of the stars off the star, and they put their eyes upon their own preconceived assumptions because here they are, they're about to run into the ocean, so they know that whatever king they're looking for is going to have to be in this last little strip of land. And so where would the king be born? Well, he'd be born in the capital. Where would he be in the capital? Well, he'd be in the palace. And so where do they go? They followed their assumptions. And I think at that point they had stopped looking up and they started looking forward. You know, and the Bible says there's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is a way of death. And And I think we're all capable of that. You know, we take our eyes off of the spirit and the leadership of the spirit. Next thing you know, we're following our own preconceived ideas about how life ought to be going and we get lost. But you know, whatever the reason, they were clearly lost. And that's a scary place. And some of you may be there right now. I mean, you know God's leading you, but man, it's hard to see from where you are. You've got this dream for your life, and you thought your life was going to work out a certain way, and you thought the the plan was going to follow a certain path, and it's not working out that way. And you know, this season doesn't make it easier it's supposed to be the happiest time of the year, right? There's two great lies that we all buy into. One is Disney World is the happiest place on earth. That's a lie from the pit. And the other is that Christmas is the happiest time of year. I mean, it is for some, but not for all. And when you look at other people's perfectly ordered world and you feel the chaos of your own life and the hurts that are resident there and the deep disappointment that you're feeling and the sense of lostness and and direction. And you go, you know, why is God favoring them and not me? And and it can be hard. Can I offer a couple of insights when you get lost? First is slow down, slow down. You see, often instead of slowing down, we speed up. We get manic and frantic and Anxious and we think, well, if I speed up, I'll get there sooner. It's like that old line out of Yogi Berra. He said, We're we're lost, but we're making good time. Isn't that the way we are? Slow down, breathe in, breathe out. Let me show you a verse, Psalm 46. Cease striving and know that I am God. I like it in the King James. It says, Be still. Be still. You ever, you know, you ever get your kids in a frantic. The kids, they just start losing their mind, and you've got to kind of talk them down. It's like, be still, be still. Calm down, be still. And I I hear the Spirit say that to us when we feel lost. Be still. It doesn't mean stop. It doesn't mean stop what you're doing. Sometimes we don't have the luxury of stopping. I can't just check out from the world. I got to keep doing whatever it was I'm doing. It's it's not about stopping. It's about stopping striving. Cease striving and know that I am God. Look what he says. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now here's the part. The Lord of hosts is with me. Even when I feel lost, he's with me. And that's the thing you need to know the most. Even when you're led by the Spirit, you can feel lost, and you need to know the Lord is with me. And so to get there, you've got to stop striving. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. And trust and know. And then ask for help. You know, those magi did the hardest thing a man can possibly do. They stopped and asked directions. That that goes against the whole man code. Because you see, we're never lost, right? We're just a little confused. And the idea is, if we keep driving, everything's going to clear up. When in truth, if we keep driving, we're just going to get more lost. And so they stopped to ask directions. Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? And there's a second insight here that I think may help. Even when I'm led by the Spirit, I still need help. Even when I'm led by the Spirit, I I still get lost. And even when I'm led by the Spirit, I still need help. The Magi needed help. Verse 4, gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet... And you, Bethlehem, land of Judea, are by no mean, land of Judah, are by no means least among the, the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now that's information these guys never had. I mean, they were brilliant scientists and astronomers, but they didn't have access to the Scripture. They needed, they needed some priests, they needed some scribes, they needed somebody with biblical knowledge to open the Word to them and to give them some knowledge that they didn't have. And and I I say that to people because we all need help. Even when we're led by the Spirit, you need help. I mean, I see these guys getting saved and getting their lives turned on and they're excited about it, and I love that. I'm excited about your excitement. But keep learning. We're never too old. I'm still learning. You know know what a, a disciple is, really? You know what that word means, methetes in the Greek? You know what it means? A learner. And I never stop learning. Here's what undermines the whole thing. When you become prideful and you become self-centered and you think you've got this little mystic uh, uh, insight that nobody else has ever had and, and nobody can teach you anything because you already know it all, at that moment... It undermines everything God wants to do in your life, because let me tell you something, you're still going to struggle with chaos, and there will be times when you will not know what to do with it, and you need the insight of somebody who's already walked down that road. So even when we follow the Spirit, we need help. And once they got some help, they were good to go. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the where the child was. And look how relieved they were when it finally showed back up. Uh, Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. It was like they had lost their way. They couldn't see the star anymore. I don't know, maybe there were clouds or something. But they finally saw it again, and man, it just lit them up. But here's another insight that I think I, I, I need to lift out. Even when I'm led by the Spirit, I still have to deal with bad people. I think we believe sometimes that if I'm led by the spirit, he's going to lead me to these wonderful, godly people. And I won't have to deal with all these bad people anymore. Let's go back to verse three. I skipped it earlier. Let's go back now. When Herod, the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem. Everyone was excited except Herod. Herod was troubled. Why was he troubled? Well, because he was king. He wasn't excited about the news of a new king. That was threatening to him. And notice when Herod was troubled, all Jerusalem with him. You see, when Herod was troubled, people started dying. I brought this little acrostic and threw it up for you. This is Herod's family tree. Let me show you something about it. Uh, you can see Herod in the blue. Herod married originally Doris. And uh, then his sister Salome married uh, uh, Castobar, and Herod got mad at his brother-in-law. He killed him. So Herod fell in love with this beautiful girl named Mary Amney, who really was the love of his life. And so he, he got rid of Doris, and he married Mary Amney. But uh, Mary Amney's mom and dad were kind of a problem. He was having trouble with the in-laws. I don't know, maybe something happened at Thanksgiving. You know, that stuff can happen. Somebody <laughs> said something. Herod got mad. He killed his in-laws. Now, I know some of you have thought about that. Herod did it. killed his father-in-law, killed his mother-in-law. And then somebody accused his wife, and she was 25 years old. Herod had no, no reason, couldn't think of a reason not to kill her, so he went ahead and killed Mary Anne. It broke his heart, you know I hated. I had to kill my wife. Can you see him coming home today talking to the guys down at the local bar? I had to kill my wife today. It was sad. I loved her.) And then he thought his two boys were uh, plotting against him, so he killed his two sons. You know, Caesar said of Herod, I'd rather be Herod's pig than his son (laughs) because Herod tends to kill his sons. Of course, he's Jewish, so he's not supposed to have pigs, so his pigs have a longer lifespan than his sons. Uh, You know, Herod had 14 kids by 10 different wives, and he killed three of his own sons. Um In fact, Herod was so sinister that he gave orders that upon his death, they were to round up all the leading Jews of Jerusalem and kill them. And he said, if they won't grieve my death, they'll grieve at my death. And so we have no trouble at all believing that Herod did what he did to those babies in Bethlehem. He was a bad man. And these men, led by the Spirit, ran smack into him. And he tries to deceive the Magi by pretending to want to worship uh, this new king, when in reality, he just wanted to put a dagger through that newborn heart. Verse 7, then Herod secretly called the Magi, determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you've found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. And I think he reminds us there's bad people in the world. And even when I'm led by the Spirit, I'm still going to have to deal with them. And so you have to be discerning. Don't be so gullible. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. I hate to say that to church, you know, you'd be more more snake-like, but we have to be shrewd. We have to be discerning. And at the same time, lean into the Spirit. Verse 12, and having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. And I think it's interesting, the same Spirit that led the Magi to Jesus led them from Herod. But you're going to deal with that. And this final insight I wanted to, to give you this morning is even when I'm led by the Spirit, it's usually harder longer than I expected. How long did this whole thing last? Well, if you skip down to verse 16, you'll see that Herod sent and killed all the children in, Jerusalem, in Bethlehem two years and under. And notice that little phrase, according to the time that he determined from the Magi. According to the time he had ascertained from the Magi. And so here's how the conversation went, you know. And this is one of the most heinous scenes in the in the annals of history. Herod killed all of those innocent little boys in Bethlehem. And so, the the conversation probably went like this: Herod's Herod's going, uh, "How long you boys been riding them camels?" You know, they're like. Uh uh, well, you know, the star appeared two years ago. You've been following that star two years? Yeah, we've been following it two years. All right, well, go find that kid. I want to come worship him too. See you later. Come back and tell me where he is, you know. And after they leave by another way, Herod goes to kill the king two years and under. You know what that tells us? That tells us they've been at this for two years. Now, look, I don't know if they were on the camels two years I don't know if they saw the star and it took them about a year to get ready and then a year trip or what. But you know how much you really believe in something when you're two years on a camel. Uh, you know, I, I was talking to Joey about it. Joey, Joey's ridden a camel. I said, how was it, Joey? He said, you just try to stay on. Because when a horse walks, its back right foot connects to its front left foot, and so the gait of a horse creates a motion like this. But when a camel walks, its back its right and left feet come together like this, and so it creates a swaying motion side to side. Now look, my son lives in Vermont, so once a year I drive up to Vermont to see him. It's a brutal beatdown to drive four days in a late model pickup truck with heated seats and air conditioning to get to see my son. I'm like, I don't know if we can do it this year. It's so far. These guys are on a camel for over a year, maybe two. Here's here's what I want you to understand. When I'm led by the Spirit, it's usually harder longer than I expected. And what happens when it's harder longer than you expect? What happens? Well, most people quit. And they quit just before God reveals his purpose. Look, even when you're led by the Spirit, you're going to get lost. Even when you're led by the Spirit, you need help from other people, you're going to deal with bad people. And it's going to be harder, longer than you expected. And even when it's harder, longer than you expected, please don't quit. Because here's the thing. If you quit, you miss the magic of the Magi. You're like, well, what's the magic of the Magi? Here it is. The Magi, their story became part of God's story. That's the magic of the Magi. You look at any nativity set anywhere, what's in it? Well, you've got some angels, you've got some, maybe a donkey, you got a sheep or two, you might, you got some shepherds, you got the baby Jesus, you got Mary Joseph, but who do you always have? The Magi. They're always in that story. And I really think that's the magic of the magi, and I think that's the purpose of this whole thing is that God wants you to see that when you stay at it and you're led by the Spirit, and it's harder longer than you expected, that the, that the magic happens when your story becomes part of His story, and you begin to participate in the gospel. But if you quit before that happens, you never see it. Last week I, I did a funeral for a friend of mine named Richard. When I came to this church 22 years ago, it was a church, it was bustling with activity, but it was hard for us to sort of center ourselves on that purpose that God had for us. And so I pulled together six guys and we met every Wednesday night, 2 hours to 3 hours, didn't change anything about the church. Every Wednesday night for a year we met, and and our whole focus was, how can we center this beautiful church on the purposes of God? And Richard was one of the guys that was in that group met with me every Wednesday night for a year. And from that, we kind of forged an idea, a plan, hopefully led by the Holy Spirit, of where God would take this church. And so you're sitting today benefiting from the hours Richard had put in. And very much his story is indelibly linked to the story of this church, which is linked to the story of Jesus. Now, it wasn't easy for him. Richard had a thing called gian bar happened to him it's some sort of condition where it paralyzes you gian bar is that right and he was paralyzed for a year before i met him and it affected his hips to where he always walked kind of unusual at an unusual gait and he always experienced a lot of pain but that never stopped him, even though it was harder longer than he expected. And he invested not only in, in the leadership and the structure of this church, he taught a life group forever, the Runnels Life Group class. Uh, he was involved in the Seaman in the Center down in New Orleans after Katrina. Uh, and he was very involved here at Ray of Hope. And, you know, when I'm preaching his funeral, the passage of Scripture that came to mind was Revelation 14, 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit, so that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow with them. And I thought that's a beautiful way of saying my story becomes part of his story. And that only happens when I'm led by the Spirit and I don't quit. And I want you to hear that word of encouragement. Because God's got a reason for you on this planet. And He's got a purpose for your life. And you may be going, you know, I feel lost. Well, sometimes we get lost when we follow the Spirit. It's like, it's harder than I expected. Well, yeah, you know, we have this idea. If I follow the spirit, everything's going to be easy. I hear people say that. I know God's in it because everything just worked out. Well, that may be how it works, but you really can't apply that to Abraham, Isaac, Moses, Jacob, Joseph, David, Paul, Peter, Nehemiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, or anybody else you're going to read in the in the Bible. It worked out harder than they expected. It took longer than they expected. But because they didn't quit and they stayed at it, their story became part of his story. And that's the magic of the Magi. And that's where God wants you to be right now. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray for my friends and my brothers and sisters and for those who hear my voice who are maybe... Maybe feeling lost're they're following, they're following the spirit, but they feel lost. Father, help them slow down and seek you. let them know you're with them. Father, help us to be humble enough to ask for help. Help us to be discerning of bad people in our lives and not to be uh, abused or used by them, to lean into the Spirit. And Father, whatever we do, when it's harder, longer than we expected, Father, don't let them quit until they see the magic of the Magi in their life. Thank you for letting us participate in your story. Thank you for making our lives count for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make Him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.